Jesus is alive today for real. Jesus is alive today for real. Uh, you ever play that game, 20 Questions? Sometimes when you've got to kill some time, uh, there's that game, 20 Questions. Several years ago on vacation, we bought, somebody in the family bought this little round egg ball thing, and it's called 20Q. Now, someplace between here and Michigan on a vacation, we about threw this thing out the window. Because I'm telling you, there was something unnatural about this little device. What you would do is that you were supposed to pick, just like the game, 20 questions, you were supposed to pick something in your mind, you know, a bread box or something like that, um, and, and, and choose that, and then it would ask you yes or no questions. Now, this device which you can just look at it. Like there, there's like zero technology in this. It's not hooked up to the internet. It, it has no downloads, no anything like that. This question, about nine out of 10 times, would know what it is that you had picked up. We, we got to the point that we wouldn't even say it out loud. We thought it was listening to us. In fact, we would write it down. We would whisper it because it was really, really weird. But the truth is that they have programmed this little ball with just good questions that help narrow things down. Now, there is something really significant about a good question because really literally a good question unlocks untold truth. And in this passage of scripture that Paul unfolds for us this morning, Paul asks two questions. In verse one he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound. Paul says, uh, are we supposed to keep sinning so that we get more grace? And then in verse 15, he asks a very similar question. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? You see, he asks this question because of where he's been building to in the whole book of Romans. And in fact, what he's been building to in this book of Romans is he is trying to teach people that what you think about God and how God deals with us is completely different than the way God deals with us. You see, there's a reflex inside of us that we know that there's something that's broken between us and God. We know that there's some things in our life that are not right, that need to get fixed, and because of that, that there's a separation from us and God. Paul unpacks that in the book of Romans. But the reflex, the reflex that we have is that we have this idea that if I'm going to make things right with God for all the things that I've messed up before, what I need to do is I need to present God with a new list of all of the things that I've gotten right. Sometimes we might call those things works. Anything that you would do to earn a brownie point before God. Anything that you would do to impress God. Now here's a couple of things. God created the universe. He's not going to be impressed that you helped somebody cross the street it's really hard to say, God, take a look at what I did. Like, what are you talking about? The other problem is, is that even while we are trying to get all of these things right, we keep getting things wrong. And we can never quite catch up. And we can never make all of those things go away. And so there's a part of us that as we listen to Paul and he unfolds that, we're like, well, we've got no chance whatsoever. And he says, yes and no. You see, your works, your efforts to impress God are not going to get you anywhere. But Paul says, I've got good news for you. God does not 
reach out to us on the basis of your works. He reaches out to us on the basis of his grace. He gives you forgiveness. He gives you life, not because you deserve it, but because he is loving and kind and full of mercy, and he pours that out to you. So if you are trying to get to God through your works, it's a dead end. But what God has for you is grace. What you don't deserve, what he wants to pour out to you. And he says, your sin will be covered by God's grace. And he says, Jesus is the means by which that happens. Now, Paul can kind of see the wheels turning in people's lives and in people's minds. And so they're saying, well, okay, sin leads to God's grace. All right, Paul, that's new for us, but I get that. Sin leads to God's grace. Now, that grace sounds really, really good. I will sin more and get more grace. If God's given grace and grace comes when we sin, well, I'll just sin more and I get more. So the question that Paul asked is, so is this the deal? Should we sin more so that we should get more grace? Well, Paul answers the question, and this is the direct quote from Paul. He says, are you crazy? Okay, maybe that, that's not the direct quote, but, but he says, may it never be. How, how can you say something like that? He says, by no means is that what happens. Because what Paul wants you to see in this chapter, what Paul wants you to know, what the Holy Spirit wants you to know, is that here is the good news. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes my life today. You see, we've talked a little bit about the fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ includes my resurrection, contains my resurrection, so we talk about the future. This is what's going to happen, but I want you to hear this morning, what I want you to know this morning is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't just change your past and it doesn't just change your future, it changes your life right now. Take a look at verse 4 in chapter 6 here. This is the heart of the passage. It says, we were buried. newness of life. You see, Jesus Christ's resurrection gives you a brand new life. Anyone here this morning in the witness protection program? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. I don't think you're, I think the last day of orientation for that is don't ever answer that question. Are you in the witness protection program? But, but we get that idea of, of a brand new life that's poured out to us. And sometimes like, well, I'd like to get a fresh start. I'd like to have a brand new life. I'd like to be planted someplace with a, with a brand new thing. Let me tell you that Jesus through his resurrection gives you a brand new life to live today. Now, how does that happen? Well, I'm glad you asked. It happens because Jesus' resurrection connects us with the greatest moment in history. Jesus' resurrection connects me to the greatest moment in history. You see, he talks about the fact that 
When Jesus Christ died and was resurrected, that's a historical fact. That is something that happened. In Paul's case, that is something that happened just a generation earlier, a half a generation earlier. In our case, it's something that happened almost 2,000 years ago. But it's a historical fact. But what Paul is teaching us here, what the Spirit of God is teaching us here, is that the death and resurrection is not just something that happened to Jesus, but through his resurrection, it now includes me, and I am included in that fact. He talks here about baptism. Now, now we do baptism uh, every once in a while, and this is part of the explanation for what baptism means. You see, when a person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, when they become a believer in Jesus Christ, they give their life to Christ. We celebrate that with baptism. And one of the reasons why the picture of baptism matters so much is that he says, you were buried with Christ in his death, and we kind of go under the water, and then we come back out of the water because he says you have been raised to new life, to a brand new life, just as Christ was raised, you were raised as well. You see, Jesus' death and resurrection is not just something that we sit on the sidelines. It's not something that we sit in the stands and look at and say, boy, that's really interesting what happened over there or back there, or that's really interesting that you tell me about. Paul says... That through his resurrection, the livingness of Jesus today, that you are connected to Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus died. You died with him. He was resurrected. You are resurrected with him as well. You are connected to that reality. Now, you may be thinking, you may be thinking, now how is a historical event from long ago, how does that impact my life today? Well, I will tell you that we are all Americans today because some fellows chunked some tea into the Boston Harbor. And that was a historical event that has changed who I am today. More precisely for you and I, we are Americans today because Thomas Jefferson wrote Napoleon a check. And so therefore, when we play the Star Spangled Banner, that's ours. Because something that happened a couple hundred years ago, that belongs to us, that has changed us. And listen, as great as those historical events were, they do not have the supernatural power of the resurrection. Those are just events back then. But because of the resurrection of Jesus... The events that we will celebrate and commemorate this holy season are my experience as well. I have been buried with him in death, and I have been raised to a brand new life. Now, a quick side note, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have not celebrated baptism in that way, come see me. We'd love to celebrate that with you so that you can have that same celebration, that same connection that says, I was buried with him, and I'm raised again. And that teaching doctrine, that teaching tool that God gives us can be fully embedded into your life as well. Jesus' resurrection connects me to the greatest moment in history. But I would also tell you that Jesus' resurrection frees me from the reign and the rule of sin. Now you see, 
this is why Paul wants you to know that when Jesus died, that you died with him. When Jesus was resurrected, you were resurrected with him. He wants you to know that because dead people are freed from sin. You, know, you look at something and say, man, I'm going to struggle with this as long as I live. Paul says, exactly, but you died with him. And you have been raised to a brand new life. You see, one of the things that he wants you to hear is that when Jesus died, he defeated sin. And so therefore, when you died with him, you have that same freeing from sin. Dead people don't have to deal with that. And then when you have been raised to a brand new life, you live a completely life, different life from that. Now let's talk for a moment about sin. This should be fun. Let's talk about sin. You know, it's one of those things that may be just a word that we throw around every once in a while, but, but here at its core, what is sin? Sin is spiritual rebellion. It is saying that, God, I would rather do it my way than your way. I, I would rather choose what I want to do than what you want to do. Now understand that what God wants for our life is good, it's perfect, it's right, it's whole, it builds us up. But there is still a gravitational pull inside of our lives that say, I hear you God, but I would rather do this. And every time that we choose to do things my way instead of God's way, that's sin. Now, sometimes that can be a huge, awful, heinous thing that the entire culture says, oh, how dare you do that? At other times, it may be that the culture and the neighbors and everyone else that you know is doing it as well. They're like, that's not a big deal. But if it's my way instead of God's way, that's called sin. Now, every once in a while, you think, but you know what? I disagree with God about what the right way is. Every once in a while, I kind of look at this thing and say, God, I, I think you got that wrong. You know what we call that? We call that sin. Every time that we say, my way is better than God's way, or I choose my way over God's way, that is sin. And from the moment God placed Adam and Eve in the most perfect place that has ever been created, we have dealt with a gravitational pull that said, but what if I did it my way? What if, what if God's wrong? And so since really the creation, there has been this struggle inside of us where there is this pull toward my way over God's way. Spiritual rebellion, sin. But Paul wants us to know through the Spirit of God, he wants us to know that you have died to sin and sin no longer reigns and has rule over your life. He, he says it right here. It no longer reigns over your life. You see, sometimes we just walk through life kind of shrugging and say, well, I don't really have a choice. Everybody sins, you know, I kind of do. No, Sin exists, but because you died with Christ and you have been raised with him, it does not have the same power and authority over your life as it used to have. Imagine having a really terrible boss. 
A really terrible job. I looked it up this week. One internet headline said, 85% of everyone hates their job. Okay, that's a little strong. I looked at it, and basically what it said is that 15% of people really like their job, and so they kind of jumped and said everybody else hates their job. But either way, the idea of having a job that you don't like is not really hard to imagine for a lot of us. But imagine having this job that you just did not like because partly because the boss was just so controlling, so manipulative, so abusive. When finally someone offers you a new job, it's a better job with better pay, better hours, better commute, everything that's better for you and for your family. And so you take that job. And here's what you need to know about that. That old boss has no authority over your life anymore. And so you should not drive there on Monday morning and report for work at your old job. He's not your boss anymore. You shouldn't even bother to open up those emails anymore. He's not your boss anymore. And if he calls you in the middle of the night and wants to know where a report is, you don't have to answer that call because he ain't your boss. You don't even have to read and listen to the voicemails. He has no authority over your life anymore. Now hear me, Paul wants to know, wants you to know that sin is no longer your boss anymore. You don't have to take that call. You don't have to read that email. You don't have to show up and report for work. You don't have to report for duty anymore. Sin no longer has that authority over your life. Now listen, sin would like to still be your boss. And so chances are sin is going to still keep calling. But you don't have to answer that call. You don't have to pick up the phone. And I will tell you that the more times that we refuse to pick up that call, the more victory we have in our life. And the less that call is going to come through in our lives anymore. Paul wants you to know that you are no longer under the authority, the power, the reign of sin anymore. Because you have died to sin with Jesus and been raised to a brand new life. But I would also tell you that Jesus' resurrection compels me to a new agenda for my life, compels me to a new agenda for my life. Now, this is really what's interesting. It's the bottom half of this chapter. In this bottom half of this chapter, he says, listen, if we're no longer under the law and we're under grace, can't we just do whatever we want? And he says, listen, look at what it is that you are doing. And he says here in verse 16, he says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? He says that's like showing up to work on Monday at the job that you don't have anymore, under the abusive environment anymore. Don't do that. Wherever you show up, voluntarily, that's going to be where you Live, and that's the authority that you voluntarily place yourself under. And 
the word of God gives us these, these couple of pictures here. He says, no longer present your members as instruments for unrighteousness. He, he says, your, your, your members, what makes up who you are? He says, stop presenting who you are, what makes you who you are, your, 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 all of your resources. Stop presenting your resources as tools, as weapons, as instruments for continued rebellion against God and unrighteousness. And he says, instead, present your members as instruments, as tools, as weapons for righteousness. Now listen, that's a really vivid picture to me that I spent some time on this week trying to unpack that and trying to understand that and just really think about it. One of the things that he is saying is don't let your life and all the things make up your life make a contribution to the unrighteousness that's in this world. So that when something of rebellion against God happens in this world and a forensic team swoops in to say, how did this happen? How did this get here? And they dust it for fingerprints and they dust it for evidence of where did this come from? Paul says, don't you dare let them find your DNA of your members as being part of the weapons of unrighteousness of the instruments, of the tools that continue the rebellion against God. He says, instead, take your members, take up who everything that makes you who they are and present them, present them as instruments, weapons, as tools for the righteousness of God. All the things that make up who you are, how are you going to spend those resources? I think what's interesting is that the Word of God doesn't really give us space for neutral. Anybody like to live in neutral every once in a while? I like to be able to just kind of say, you know what, I'm going to hang here for a little bit and wait and see how this thing goes before I jump into the intersection and figure out what's going to happen. I want to just kind of play it safe for a moment. And so neutral kind of says, you know what, I don't want to live under sin anymore. But I don't want to get carried away with this religion stuff. I don't want to come across as a person who's holier than thou. And, and I don't want to get, come across as a person who's obsessed with religion and with faith. And so I'm just going to walk away from sin and, and I'm going to say bye to that. But, but I'm not quite ready to go you know, hog wild on my faith. But I want you to see here. Paul says, listen, we are either presenting our members as instruments for unrighteousness or we're presenting our members as instruments for righteousness. He doesn't give you the opposition to put yourself in deep freeze and say, well, I'm not going to do either one. Why is that? I think because the gravitational pull of unrighteousness of sin, of the old boss and the old self that had authority over our lives, that gravitational pull, those old things pull us so hard. So the only way to stay away from those things is to completely spend ourselves in something else. 
So if you want to live outside of the disconnected authority of sin, then you need to present your members, everything that makes up who you are, as an instrument for righteousness. You need to have an intentional new agenda that says this is where my life is being spent going forward. It's going to be 100% for being a fully devoted follower of Jesus, pursuing his passions, priorities, and purpose in my life. And my life needs to look more like Jesus all of the time. You see, Jesus' resurrection connects me with the greatest moment in history. It frees me from the reign of sin and it compels me to a new agenda for my life. As we come to the end of this chapter, the, the, the thing that we ask each week is, so, so what do I do next? Well, what is the now what for my life? Well, there's two different avenues that I want us to think about. I want to go back to the opening words where there's this whole question about grace. And Paul knows that we struggle with, man, grace just seems to be too unbelievable. I don't want to know what to do with grace. And we're still coming to terms with the fact that we don't approach God by trying to impress him, but instead we deliver to him all of our disappointments and he pours grace over our lives. Man, that's the heart of our faith. That that's the heart of the story. That the whole heart of Jesus' mission is the whole heart of the Word of God. It is the preaching point of everything that we do. That we approach God not through our works, our efforts, our brownie points, our gold stars, but actually we approach God by delivering to Him our worst and he pours grace over that. It's possible that you've been still trying to collect stars and brownie points. And you never exchanged your worst moments for his great grace. And maybe that's something that you need to do today. Understand that the game that you've been playing, the strategy that you've been trying to reach God has been completely the wrong path. And you need to receive his grace over your life today. If you're willing to do that this morning, we say it almost every week. It's a conversation between you and God. Say, so God, I, first of all, I, I didn't really realize that I didn't really realize that some of the choices that I were make, that I've been making has been spiritual rebellion. I didn't really realize that when we talked about sin, that's what we were talking about. And Lord, I, I repent over that sin, over that rebellion. And I can't fix it. But would you pour grace over every single piece of those broken parts of my life? If you will do that, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive you of all unrighteousness. And he will come and dwell inside of you forever and forever and you will be dead to sin and you'll be raised to a brand new life. It's a conversation between you and God. If I can help with that, come find me, come see me. I'm in the back. I'm here during the week. I'm around. Find me. Talk to someone about that question.
But there's a second part of it that I want us to think about for a moment. You see, back to verse 4, it says that we are called to walk into a newness of life. Remember we talked about that witness protection program? Here's what happens with that witness protection program. You get a brand new life. But what they do with that witness protection program is that they transplant you to a brand new place and world. And one of the things that they tell you, not that I'm in the witness, just so you know, just not because I'm there, but what they tell you is you can't go back to that old life. You have a new life. You can't go back and talk to those same old people. You can't go back and do those same old things. You have a brand new life. I think sometimes we have underestimated what it means when Jesus tells us that you have a brand new life. You see, we are trying to put on a hat that says brand new life and continue to live the exact same life we used to live. Listen, because you are dead to sin, because you have been buried with Christ, because you have been raised to a brand new life, because sin no longer has authority over you, because you are compelled to a brand new agenda for your life, your life must look different. It doesn't mean you have to pack up and move across the country. But it means because of the newness of your life that there are some things in your life that do not fit anymore. They are your old self. They are the old authority of your old boss. And that's not who you are anymore. And so my challenge for you this week is let the Spirit of God identify for you that's not a relationship that fits for you anymore. That's not an activity that fits for you anymore. That's not part of your new life. That's not a pursuit. That's not a reaction that's not an emotion. That's not a behavior. Those are not a set of words. That's not a search history that belongs to a person with a brand new life anymore. And so maybe in this moment, there's at least one thing in your life that you can identify and say, that's my old life. It's been hanging around for a while, but that doesn't belong in my new life. Maybe there's something that you need to cut off, a behavior, a reaction, a pursuit that just doesn't fit anymore. It's a brand new life. You, to the resurrection of Jesus, have a brand new life. Let me pray for you.